In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield and sword, the weapons of war, Selah. Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. All the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both horse and rider lay stunned. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still when God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble of the earth. Those are the first nine verses of Psalm 76, which along with Psalm 75 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, November the 6th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, and I'm your host. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing in the book of Ezra today, the ninth chapter, the first 15 verses, and then we are still in the book of Revelation, chapter 17, the first 14 verses there, and in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 22 to 36. So Ezra, remember, is the priest, the scribe, and the great teacher who has come back to Jerusalem to rebuild and and restore the temple in Jerusalem. And so he's brought people with him, and he's reestablishing the worship of God in Jerusalem. So he remember yesterday what we had was was that he and others brought back all the accoutrement that went into the temple, all the gold and the silver vessels and all that stuff, so that they could begin to, to restore that worship properly. And they also then um, did many sacrifices in order to to restore it. And, and Ezra was like Nehemiah in that he, he was a man of prayer, always a man of prayer. And so we saw on multiple occasions, both in Nehemiah and so far in Ezra, that that he prayed, and he records his prayers for us. And so today what we get is after these things had been done, the bringing in of all those things and the um, sacrifices, the officials approached me and said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. So those first groups were the the Ites, were all those people who they displaced from the land when they came in in the time of Joshua, the people that they were supposed to drive from the land because of the abominations of their worship and their practices that had polluted the land. And so they were supposed to separate themselves from them. And remember, you probably have heard me say this, but maybe not. So um, the biggest problem they have with Balaam, the prophet, who uh, spoke to the ass, uh, (laughs) his ass, um, that the problem that they had with him isn't what he prophesied, because what he prophesied was what God told him to prophesy, but but what they held against him was, is it was his idea to send the Moabite women among the, the Israelites and corrupt them and corrupt their morals and corrupt their worship. And so that they saw him as somebody who, who had sort of figured out their Achilles heel, and that is is that for women, they'll, they'd be willing to overthrow God, and it worked. And so that was the reason they hated him. And so here, they were not supposed to take in to themselves those practices, and they do so by, by marrying the women of that of those places. It says, for they've taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. We're supposed to be a holy people, a holy nation serving our God in a kingdom of priests. We can't do that if we, you know, intermarry. 
And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men has been foremost. So as soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. I mean, you remember when Nehemiah comes back from visiting Artaxerxes, he comes back and he finds Tobiah installed in in the temple and then also finds all this other unfaithless faithfulness in, in, on the Sabbath, all the trading that was going on. And, and that's how Ezra feels here, is, is that we've, we've missed the most basic thing. And he says, At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we've been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, has been shown favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery, for we are slaves." That's an interesting comment, um, but what they realize, what he means by that is the slavery is we're bound to serve another master, the king of Persia. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And, and what they see is, is as long as they are not under self-rule, which would be a theocracy, because it'd be under God's rule as the ultimate king, then then they are slaves in the sense that they don't have self-determination. He says, and now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land that you're entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands. With their abominations, they have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and neither never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children for forever. So they were not to be allowed to have peace and prosperity. These others that had filled the land, these Canaanite groups that had filled the land with their sexual perversions, which is all a part of their worship. It's, it's, a, it's a very earth-based religion. Uh, all those re- the religions of those people were, and, and sexual immorality was one of the chief characteristics of it, because it was thought that these things really didn't matter very much. And so they and they were prohibited from that kind of intermarriage. And he says, After all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the people who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there would be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you're just, for we are left with a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. So he's, he's absolutely appalled because he said, look, we've just come out of this Babylonian captivity for our sins. And we come in, we, we, we mess up the most basic of all things, 
by intermarrying with other people, with other religions and, and other practices that are abhorrent to our God. They're con- considered an abomination, those practices are. And here we are. Really? Seriously? This is what you guys are going to do? There was a lack of understanding of God's word. Is he really serious about these things, you think? You know, do you think this really matters to him? I don't think so. You know, I think we can probably get away with doing this in spite of the fact that we see from the glory of David to the glory of Solomon, and then Solomon messes it all up by doing what? The same thing. He brings in all these other wives from all these other religions, and he accommodates their practices and their worship into Israel. And that was the downfall of the entire kingdom. It led to the division of the kingdom, and then those practices end up up in the north with intermarriage between Jezebel and Ahab, and she brings her idolatrous practices in, and that destroys that nation for generations, and finally, ultimately. And then we see in the time of Josiah that they've done the same thing in the northern, in the southern kingdom. And he has to tear all of that down, and they immediately go back to their vomit. It's the same thing again and again and again in Israelite history. But it's not just Israelite history. It's us. It's us. We can come through something that, that should shake us to the very core of our existence, and, and we'll pass through that. And for a little while, we live at the foot of the cross, and then suddenly, well, not so much. We've moved out from that place of protection, and, and we have it on our own now, and we forget him. It's amazing how quickly we can do that. In the gospel, Jesus, remember, had just fed the 5,000 plus. He urged the disciples to go into the boat and go before him to get to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So they they were not making good progress getting across. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. Well, it's great to hear your voice, but what the what? You're walking on the water. (laughs) So I'm comforted to know that you're here, but I'm baffled and astonished and amazed at what's going on here. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, can you actually see the wind or do you see the effect of the wind? He was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you're the Son of God. And when they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. This is the second time we've seen a, a scene with Jesus on the boat with the disciples. The first time he was asleep in the stern, remember, and he speaks to the wind and the waves and rebukes them and tells them to cease. And they do, and they say, who is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? And here we see, in a different way, Jesus walking on the water, coming to the disciples. And, and then Peter is willing to get out of the boat, but his faith fails when he sees the impossibility, let's say, um, of, of what's happening, or the implausibility, at least, of what's happening. He suddenly is afraid. He's walking on water, and he sees the wind, and he's afraid. What did he have to fear? What changed about his situation? He's walking on water. How does the wind affect or change that fact in any way? And, and yet it did. And God says we can do all things, you know, that, that we're able to do these things if we have faith.
Now, I can't think of a single situation where it would be necessary for me to walk on water. But at any rate, that's what's going on here. And Jesus questions his faith. Why did you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. We had enough to get out of the boat and come out on the water. But, but the reality is, is that compared to Jesus, he had no faith at all. In the Revelation passage, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of God's wrath came and said to me, Come, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of those whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. It's, you know, we, we've come to believe in our age, apparently, even in the church, that there's no such thing as sexual immorality, that there's a great many forms of sexual immorality. We can condemn them all, but the problem is, is that we're only being asked to condone some of them. And so when we're, where does that compromise stop? Do we have any earthly idea? Once we start down the road and saying, well, this is a loving relationship, then, well, then anything potentially can qualify in that way. And as we've seen lately in our world, I mean, we just are blessing mental illness. People who think, no, 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 I'm not what, what, I, what I seem to be as far as gender is not who I really am. And somehow or another, we're blessing these things. And, and the world has lost its mind. And it, and it began with the denial of, hum, of any sort of uh, limits on human sexuality. And it's just exactly like Paul said in Romans 1, when he began to describe the descent of man, it begins with sexual immorality. And so the, my question is, where do we stop? If we're going to bless this, then because it's a loving relationship, then what do we not bless? And it, and it doesn't mean that we have to condemn the person. That's not, exa- that's not the point at all. I have a great many friends who, uh, who I don't consider to be Christians and brothers and sisters, but, but who are gay and lesbian. And I don't bless their lifestyle, and they know I don't bless their lifestyle. But I don't curse them as people either. I, I see that they're under a great deception from Satan, and, it's, and I have pity for them, and I have mercy for them, and I love them because they're under that deception. But but I can't bless it. And and that's the issue, I think, that we need to deal with. And, and, and if, we, if there's ever been a time when we can say the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk, it's our day. As we're finding out more and more now that there is so much pedophilia, for instance, in the world, child sex trafficking and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and you know, even high-ranking officials and, and well-known people are involved in this, and, and we're living in a day when we can absolutely see this. So he carried me away into the spirit, in the spirit, into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And you remember yesterday I read you actually a passage from one of the Psalms appointed for today. In the hand of the Lord there's a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours it forth, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it to the dregs. And and that's judgment, God's judgment on them. And so here again is this woman with a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of sexual immorality. And so that that's the cup from which the world has drunk, and it will later then drink of God's cup of wrath and judgment. On her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And that should just absolutely break your heart to hear that. When I saw her, I marveled greatly, but the angel said to me, 
Why do you marvel? Why are you amazed? Why are you astonished? That's, that's the way that word could, should be translated. Marvel's not bad. It, it, it's, it's just sort of this fixation. It, it's this um, enticement, I guess. Um, I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast, because it was and is not and is to come. In other words, the, the, the people who, who are destined for destruction are going to look on the beast, which is a beast, in the same way that you look on that woman right now. That's how enticing it is, and that's how, how, how much we can be seduced by this lie by the demonic lie, and, and, and it, it is what happens. But the way the beast is described, who was at one time, is not now, and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. So remember, God is the one who was and is and is to come. And here, though, we get this beast who was and then is not and is about to rise and go to destruction. And what, he, what he's saying is, is that that seduction that you feel in looking at that woman is exactly what they'll feel for the beast. This calls, he says, for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it's an eighth. So it's the, it's the eighth king of the seven. <laughs> so it belongs to the seven. And it goes to destruction. And the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. <clears throat> These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. We're called to be that number. We're called to be in that number. But what, it, what is said here is this calls for a mind with wisdom. And that it should be our prayer every single day. Lord, give me the wisdom to see the reality and the truth beyond all things. Help me not to be enticed by the things of the world, but, but to follow your Son in all things. Lord, help me never to believe the lie. Help me always to see that. We've got to engage everything we do all our lives with prayer. If we're to do that, we can't take anything for granted. We need to be constant in prayer.